the band for leading us, and especially Johnny when you're uh, not feeling the best. He's running away. Um, okay, let's, um, let's take a moment um, and ask for God's help uh, as we open up his word this morning. Father, thank you for the words that we've been singing together. Thank you for the truth of those words. Um, Father, thank you that right now, sitting in this building in this neighborhood of Coleraine, we are sitting in the presence of the King of Kings. Uh, Father, forgive us that we so often forget that. Um, Father, I want to pray as we open up your word we would have a real sense this morning that the King of Kings is addressing us personally, um, is speaking to us. Father, I want to pray that in our hearts we would be leaning in and eager to hear what it is that you want to say to us for our encouragement, for our blessing, for our healing, for our liberation. Um, for our salvation. Um, Father, help us to hear by your spirit the things that you want to say to us this morning through your word. Uh, Let it bear fruit in our lives. Let it make a difference. Um, Let it change us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, Just as we we begin, I want you to imagine, and I I should have brought a couple of uh, bits of paper up to the front as, as props here, uh, but you can imagine them. I want, I want you to imagine um, if I gave you two blank A4 sheets of paper this morning and a pen, um, and I asked you to fill one sheet of paper with things in your life that you are ashamed of, and I gave you a few moments to write them down, things in your past, things in your present, whatever. Um, And then I give you a second sheet of paper and I ask you to write down on that bit of paper things in your life that you are proud of. Um, And I give you a few moments to write them down, things in your past, things in your present, uh, things you're proud of. Um, I wonder how you would find that task. Um, I wonder would you find it easy to find things to write down on both bits of paper? I wonder what you would write. You can do it later if you want, uh, your Sunday afternoon activity. Um, I wonder, would you want the person sitting beside you to be able to see what you're writing on either of those bits of paper? Um, wonder how you would feel. Um, you'll see maybe as we go on why I'm, I'm asking you to think about, but maybe that image might be helpful to us as we, we go this morning. Things you're ashamed of, things you're proud of. Um, We're going to read from Philippians chapter 3. We're back into quite a famous passage after reading a passage that's not very famous uh, last week. Um, I'd love you to look out especially for two words that get repeated, both get repeated a few times in the passage. And one of them is the word confidence and one of them is the word righteousness. Uh, So one's a pretty common word that we use a lot. The other one's maybe a bit more of a a biblical word uh, that we don't use very often. Uh, But I want you to look out for those two words uh, as we go. So let's read Philippians chapter 3 
uh, reading from the beginning uh, of the chapter. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Sorry, I forgot to move the slide on. There it is. Oh, there we are. Um, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Um, Paul begins uh, this section, this shouldn't surprise us at this point in the letter, uh, with a reminder to rejoice in the Lord. Um, we talked about that at the beginning of our service. Um, a little bit later in chapter 4, verse 4, which we're going to get to in a couple of weeks' time, Paul repeats that command, rejoice in the Lord, and then, in case we haven't heard it, uh, clearly says it again, I say it again, rejoice. And so this section of the letter that we're coming into now is kind of a rejoicing sandwich. It begins with rejoice in the Lord and then returns uh, to rejoicing in the Lord later on. So whatever else we're talking about here, whatever else uh, Paul is uh, addressing, um, it happens in the context of a life of thanksgiving and praise. Um, and just a reminder again, Paul is writing from prison so this is for everybody, whatever our circumstances, not just when you're on the mountaintop, but when you're down low as well. The, the encouragement from Paul is to rejoice in the Lord. It's a choice that we make, whatever our circumstances, uh, to lift up our voice um, in praise. So that's the first thing uh, to say. But then uh, Paul's tone kind of changes very dramatically from rejoicing in the Lord to watch out for those dogs. And I don't know if, if you're like me, you kind of wonder, it's a bit jarring. You wonder what on earth is going on um, in a letter that is full of affection and full of warmth and full of joy. Suddenly, Paul's language is incredibly strong. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Um, 
maybe you're wondering, who are these sinister people uh, that Paul is warning us against? Um, well, uh, if you note the references to mutilators of the flesh, and then the reference a sentence later to circumcision, um, I think we can have a pretty good guess of what is going on. Uh, we know from other parts of the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts and the letter to the Galatians, that as Paul traveled around the empire planting new churches, these new gospel communities were often troubled by other voices um, that kind of came in Paul's wake. And these other voices, they didn't tend to tell these young Christians to give up their faith in Jesus. But they said that these young Christians needed, that their faith was incomplete. And they needed to add to their faith in Jesus something else, specifically obedience to some of the, the rituals of the Jewish law of the Old Testament, especially circumcision and also the food laws and the Sabbath laws and so on. So that was, that, that was a picture we knew was going on in the New Testament. Paul would come along with the gospel. People would believe the gospel. But then in his wake, there came other teachers, other voices saying, your faith is incomplete. You also need this other stuff as well. Um, and if we're trying to be honest in our thinking about that and our reading about that, you might well think, well, what's the harm in that? Um, as long as these Christians keep believing in Jesus, what's wrong with adding a few more rules? Um, the, the people who came in Paul's wake, they're, they're often called Judaizers because uh, they're wanting people to go back to the Jewish law. Uh, but these are serious people. They're people who care about the Bible. The, the laws that they're talking about came from the Old Testament. They're people who care about holiness. They, they're saying this is about holiness, setting ourselves apart. You need to obey these laws. Um, and you might think, well, what's the harm? It's, gonna, it's, just, it's a little bit extra on top of the gospel. But Paul speaks in the strongest possible terms, as he does in other letters as well. Beware. Uh, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. The, the key question I think at stake um, is about confidence. I asked you to look out for that word as we read. It's the key question for the Philippians and also for us. Where is your confidence? And for Paul, as he writes to the Philippians, the question is, is there confidence in Jesus alone? Or is there confidence in Jesus plus something else? Jesus plus circumcision. Jesus plus religious rule keeping. Jesus plus human effort. And that's what's at stake. And I think the word, the word flesh reminds, uh, is kind of helpful to us. I know it makes us a little bit squeamish. Um, but the word flesh, it, it, it refers directly to circumcision. Um, but it also... Uh, refers more widely to human effort in general. And in Paul's letters, he often uses the word um, in both ways. It can refer to the body, but it can also refer to um, relying on human effort. Um, and that, I think that's important to remember because it bridges the gap for us between the world into which Paul was writing originally and our world today. Because I'm guessing, I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing not many of us are tempted to go back to circumcision. Um, 
Not many of us are tempted to go back to the Jewish food laws or wanting to um, obey all of those and give up bacon, unless maybe some of you have for other reasons. Um, but there are all kinds of ways that we might put confidence in the flesh and put confidence in our own best efforts and put confidence in our religious performance rather than in Christ alone. And so the question, it's kind of the key question we want to think about this morning. Where is your confidence this morning? Uh, what are you trusting in? Um, maybe, maybe we can ask, you know, what do we mean by confidence? Uh, maybe uh, because of the way we sometimes frame the gospel, we might immediately assume that we're talking about confidence of going to heaven when you die. Um, and it's interesting to note, Paul doesn't really talk much in this passage about death or about heaven and hell. There is a reference to the resurrection of the dead, uh, which came at the end of what we, what we read. But the main thing that Paul talks about in this passage is that other word that I asked you to look out for. Um, he speaks about righteousness. Um, not having a righteousness of your own, but having the righteousness which is given by God and received by faith. Uh, like I said earlier, although confidence is a word we know, righteousness is maybe a bit of an alien word and a, a, a word we only hear in church, uh, perhaps. Um, but righteousness, is, in the way Paul uses it here, it's a word that speaks of right standing with God. Um, it's really a relational word. It's about being in right relationship with God. Um, and actually, maybe, maybe you, can, you can think of it on, in down-to-earth terms. Um, sometimes if you, you and a friend or you and somebody in your family have had a bit of a falling out or a bit of a problem in your relationship and you've been trying to fix it or say sorry or resolve the conflict, you might check in with your friend and say, are we all right? <laughs> Right? That, that's a question about what is the standing of our relationship? Are we okay? Um, are, we, are we at peace with each other? That, that's the kind of thing that's going on in the word righteousness, but it's on the much bigger uh, scale of thinking about our standing before God. Is everything all right between us and God? Are we okay? Um, and so whenever we put it in those terms, you can see that that's the confidence that we're talking about, the confidence to come near to God, the confidence to stand before God and know that we will not be rejected and know that we will not be destroyed or consumed by the holy fire of God and know on the other side that we're going to be welcomed. Know that we're going to be welcomed as his children and as the objects of his love and delight. Um, it's about confidence and it's about our identity as God's dearly loved children. To be righteous is to be right with God and to know that you can come near to him with freedom and confidence and, and get welcome and delight and love uh, in return. Um, and so when we say it like that, I think it's clear. It's a confidence that is for right now and for today and for every day and also for death and for eternity. So it encompasses both. That's what we're talking about when we talk about confidence. And so let me ask again, where is your confidence this morning? Where is your confidence today as you think about you and God, as you think about standing before God, as you think about approaching God? Where is your confidence? 
Um, Paul, uh, in this remarkable passage, um, speaks about his own story. Um, and I want to I apologize here for using an Americanism. Um, I'm going to use the word resume um, rather than the word CV, which is what we normally uh, use, um, partly because I couldn't find photographs that had CV on them, uh, and partly because I want to talk about our religious res resume, and that's nicely alliterative, and preachers like alliteration. Um, so we're going to talk about our religious resume. Um, Paul has an amazingly impressive religious resume, and he kind of rattles it off in this passage. He says, if anyone has reasons to boast or be confident in their own efforts and their religious performance, then it's me. And he rattles it off. I was circumcised on the eighth day. So I'm no latecomer to the party. I'm not an adult convert to Judaism like some of you are maybe tempted to be. I was circumcised right at the beginning. I'm of the people of Israel and the tribe of Benjamin. So I'm not coming into the people of Israel from outside as a foreign convert. I am pure blood, born and bred, uh, Israelite and Benjaminite. Um, I am a Hebrew of Hebrews, which I think is a reminder that Paul grew up speaking the language of the Old Testament. Imagine that. We, some of us try hard to learn a little bit of Hebrew uh, from the outside, but Paul grew up with that as his mother tongue, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He says, with regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. And if you know anything about the Pharisees, you know that they were incredibly scrupulous about keeping every tiny detail of every single law. So Paul is saying, you're thinking about obeying these big laws about circumcision and the food laws. I was scrupulous about keeping every tiny minor law that is in uh, God's word and many more, of course, that the Pharisees made up on top of the ones that, that God had given. Um, as for zeal, I was persecuting the church. And that's Paul reminding them that he was someone who really cared about truth. He was a crusader for truth. And if anybody was out of line with what he believed to be the truth, he was actually zealously clamping down on them and shutting them down and even involved in violence against them. Um, as for righteousness based on the law, Paul says, I was faultless. Doesn't mean Paul is claiming he was perfect. It means he's saying, if you were looking at my external behavior and trying to find something to criticize me for, you would have had a really hard time. My external record of behavior was pretty impeccable. It was hard to find a chink in the armor if you were looking at Paul's behavior. In other words, if we gave Paul a page and said, write down on that page everything you're proud of, um, Paul, the Pharisee, wouldn't have had trouble filling that page with the stuff he tells us here and lots more as well. His religious resume is incredibly impressive. And maybe, maybe some of us here uh, this morning would also find that task easy. If I give you a page, things you're proud of in your history, in your, in your life, uh, maybe you'd find it easy to fill in. Maybe you came from a good Christian family uh, that goes back generations. It's well known in Christian circles in Northern Ireland. Um, maybe you grew up in a, a sound Bible teaching church. You went to Sunday school. You went to all kinds of other activities. Uh, maybe you've studied the Bible all your life and you know the Bible really well and 
uh, can talk about words like righteousness and know what you're talking about. Um, maybe you've been involved all your life in mission and going on teams and serving in the church and being involved in ministries of all kinds. Maybe you haven't really struggled with any big, obvious public sins. There's been no scandal in your life. Um, maybe you've had a good education and a good job and you have a lovely family and you are generally respected and upstanding and admired. That might be many of you here this morning. Let's also say maybe some of us find, would find that exercise much harder. Um, maybe your family growing up was a bit of a mess. Maybe you didn't have much of a Christian upbringing or maybe you rebelled when you were quite young against it and got out as quick as you could. Maybe your church involvement over the years has been patchy and sporadic. Maybe you've had some big public failures. Maybe you feel like your education and employment has not been very impressive. Maybe your current life circumstances and family circumstances are a bit wonky and a bit of a mess. Maybe you're not sure there are many people who really respect and admire you. Um, you're not sure. I don't know which of those categories you're, you're in. I'm guessing a lot of us are somewhere in between uh, those two things. Um, I don't know where you are on that spectrum. Um, but wherever you are on that spectrum, um, you need to hear the shock of what Paul says in this passage. Because Paul essentially takes his shiny, sparkly, spiritual CV, I could have done that, spiritual CV, religious resume, um, and essentially Paul seems to crumple it up and throw it in the bin. <laughs> and he says, I count it all garbage. And by the way, I have no idea why the NIV, even in the UK, is going for the American word there, but he counts it rubbish. Uh, he counts it refuse. Many of you will know the word can also be used to mean excrement. Um, Paul is saying it's like dog poo, uh, all that, but I didn't want to put that on the, on the screen uh, this morning. Why on earth would Paul take his kind of spiritual legacy and religious resume and crumple it up like that and throw it away? Um, it, it's, worth, it's worth pausing on that for a second because um, there's nothing wrong with being from the people of Israel. In fact, they were God's special people, God's chosen people on the apple of God's eye. There's nothing wrong with the fact that Paul was circumcised. That was God's idea originally for his people. There's nothing wrong with respect for God's Old Testament law and God's commands. Um, but when God's people put their confidence in those things rather than in the faithfulness of God, even those good things can start to become spiritually dangerous. And the same is true for, you, for us today. There's nothing wrong with coming from a good family and being brought up in the faith, and we should be thankful if that was our story. There's nothing wrong with knowing your Bible. Uh, there's nothing wrong with having a good public reputation. But when those things become the ground of our confidence, and when we seek our identity in those things, and whenever we think that those things are the basis of our good standing with God, they start to become spiritually dangerous those good things. Um, I think 
the truth is, we all know uh, whether you have a shiny uh, spiritual resume or, or one that's a bit more mixed, we all know that our own efforts and our own performance are not very solid ground on which to stand, on which to base our confidence. Um, even those of us who have a pretty shiny uh, religious resume, we know that under the surface, there's all kinds of mess. We might know the Bible well, but we struggle to live it out. We might have no public scandal, but we struggle with secret sin. We do all kinds of impressive things outwardly, but our motives are murky and all over the place. Our family looks lovely on Instagram, but the reality behind uh, our closed door is as messy as anyone else. Um, if our confidence is in our best efforts, then um, if you don't mind the analogy, our confidence is going to fluctuate like the pound against the dollar. Um, we're going to feel like a spiritual warrior one day, ready to conquer the world, and then like the world's most rubbish Christian the next. Uh, we're going to constantly live in a state of anxiety where we compare ourselves to others and wonder, am I doing better than him? I've got to be doing better than her. And we measure our progress and we wonder, am I doing better than last week? Am I doing better than last year? We wonder if we're doing well enough and what is well enough anyway. And we, we get tangled in a strange mix of pride and insecurity and confidence and fear and we, we swing all over the place. Um, the good news that is at the heart of what Paul says in this chapter is there is no need to go on living that way because now in Jesus a far better way has been opened up and Paul sums it up like this the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith in other words where, where God gives us righteousness as a gift which is received on the basis of faith and not on the basis of performance. In other words, if we ask him, if we trust him, if we come with open hands, then he gives this as a free gift. We are brought into a relationship with God as our father and with Jesus as our brother and our king and with the Holy Spirit who lives in us, where we know, where we have that solid ground under our feet, where we know we are forgiven and welcomed, and loved, and delighted in. And that doesn't fluctuate depending on today's performance. Doesn't that sound like a relief? <laughs> it doesn't go up and down depending on how I'm doing today, or how I think I'm doing today, or how other people think I'm doing today. We have confidence in his faithfulness. That's the ground on which we stand. And so we are able to say, the grace of God has reached for me pulled me from the raging sea and now I'm safe on this solid ground because the Lord is my salvation. He has given this as his gift and this is where I stand. Um, I was reflecting this week on um, one of the cliches of our generation that pops up on social media quite a lot um, says that we need to say to ourselves and say to each other you are enough. Um, I'm going to make a confession this morning that I, I've thought about this a lot and, and wondered about it and been troubled by it, but I, in the end, I've come to the conclusion 
I really don't think it's helpful. Um, I think it comes from a, a well-intentioned place where we want to give people confidence because often people's confidence has been knocked by negative voices and critical voices in their life. And so we want to give people confidence. You are enough. Look in the mirror. Say, I am enough. Um, but actually, I think as a slogan, um, it's a recipe for constant insecurity and fear because some days I'm going to feel like I'm enough and other days really not so much. Um, and as I reflect on it, and you can decide what, uh, whether you agree or not, but there are lots of days, being honest, where I know I'm not enough. I, I feel my own inadequacy and my own weakness for all the challenges that I face in my own life, never mind in the world. And the truth that I need to hear and that I need you to speak to me and that I need to look in the mirror and remind myself of is not that I am enough, it's that Jesus is enough. And he is more than enough. And he is the solid ground on which we can stand for life and for death and for eternity. And when our confidence is in him and in his love for us and in his death and resurrection and the righteousness that he gives as a free gift, then we are liberated from our need to anxiously measure our progress or compare ourselves to others or worry and wonder if we're doing well enough. Um, and so I'm actually, I'm actually kind of wishing we'd done this as an exercise now because I think it would be very liberating. But I was thinking about those two pages that we filled out in our minds at the beginning. And one about the things that we're ashamed of, one about the things we're proud of. And I think often in the church, we're used to hearing the good news about the first page, that Jesus has taken away our shame. So whatever was on that first page for you can be forgiven and washed away. And I want you to hear that this morning, if, you, if that's what you need to hear. Um, it can be, if you ask him, he will remove it as far as the east is from the west. So you don't need to carry that shame for one moment longer, right? So we could crumple up that page and throw it in the fire, throw it in the bin. Um, but the, the good news of what we're thinking about this morning is maybe more surprising. That the second list of the things that we're proud of, um, which as we've thought about this morning, can actually also become a burden, and become a heavy thing and become a danger and a source of anxiety because we always want to know, is there enough on my page? And actually, the good news this morning is that Jesus also takes that burden away. And we can crumple up that religious resume, that spiritual CV, however we are feeling about it this morning, and throw it away because in the presence of God, it doesn't matter. It's all garbage, right? In the, in the community of faith, in the family of God, it doesn't matter. It's all rubbish compared to what Jesus has given us and continues to give us and what Jesus invites us into. And I wonder maybe if for some of us, we need to hear that good news this morning. Stop trying so hard to polish your resume. Um, crumple it up, throw it away. We have more interesting things to do than constantly measure our progress and compare ourselves to each other. What is the life that Jesus invites us into? And I'm only going to talk about this for a couple of minutes to finish. Um, whenever we find ourselves in that place where our confidence is in Jesus and the gift that he gives, and we're set free from that measuring and comparing, um, 
Jesus invites us into a life that is defined by one thing. Um, Paul says, having been liberated from his anxious, pharisaical, religious rule-keeping, Paul now has one consuming passion. What is his passion? What do you do when you're finally set free from worrying and measuring and anxiety? What do, how do you live? Paul says, I want to know Christ. And he says it in several different ways in this passage, but this is his one animating, driving passion for his life. This is what I'm now running after. I want to know Jesus. And of course, when Paul says, know Christ, he's not talking about head knowledge. He's not talking about, I just want to know lots of things about Jesus. He's talking about the knowledge of relationship, the knowledge of encounter, the knowledge of friendship. Paul has been brought into friendship with Jesus the King. And now he wants to know him more. That's it. That, that is what gets him out of bed in the morning. That's what sends him across the empire. I want to know Jesus. That's the heart of Christian faith. It's not about measuring our progress and keeping religious rules, about, about wor worrying whether we're enough or whether we've done enough, but it's about growing into deeper friendship with Jesus our King. Just a closer walk with him. That's what it's about. Um, and maybe, maybe as I say that, you're thinking it's one of those things that can be cliche and we can say very lightly and easily. Um, you know, Christianity is not about religion. It's about relationship. It's about friendship with Jesus. It's about uh, walking with him. Um, and maybe before we finish, it's worth saying we need to know that this friendship with Jesus will involve um, two things that are maybe surprising. Uh, and the two things are these. Um, the friendship with Jesus involves participation in his suffering. In other words, there's no way to get to know Jesus without sharing in the fellowship of his suffering. Something of the story of the cross will be written into our lives. And that was true for Paul as he writes from prison. It was true for those first century Christians. Many of them suffered prison and torture and death, and they also suffered loss of comfort and loss of reputation and loss of family and all kinds of other losses. And we don't know, you and I, what the cost might be for us in following Jesus. We, we may not be asked to give up our lives for our faith, but there will be lots of little deaths. There's always a cost to following Jesus and friendship with him. There's no way to get to know Jesus better without fellowship in his sufferings. And so there's a counting of the cost that needs to go on. Are we prepared for that? Is that something we're willing to enter into? Uh, if we're kind of putting up our hands saying, I want to know Jesus better, we need to know this is part of what's involved. But then the second thing is this, that along with participation in his suffering, there is the power of his resurrection. So it's a, it's a costly friendship, but it's also a powerful friendship. Uh, and I love the way Paul talks about the resurrection here, that it's not just the end of the story that we're looking forward to. Paul does talk about where the goal that we're headed towards is the resurrection of the dead, right? So that's the goal uh, at the end of the story. But the resurrection is not just our future hope. 
it's also something we will experience in the present, the power of his resurrection. And so maybe the kind of final question uh, that I want to encourage you to reflect on as we go to prayer and as we finish um, is where do you need that power this morning? Uh, When Jesus is our friend, when we walk with him, when we get to know him better, um, he releases his power into our lives for transformation, for healing, for sanctification, for renewal, uh, for liberation. Um, Where do you need that power today? Uh, Maybe maybe you want to close your eyes as we we move to prayer. Um, But I want you just to reflect for a moment in quiet. Um, where, Where do I need that power today, the power of the resurrection? And maybe it's setting us free from things that are holding us captive. Maybe we need his power to bring healing to the broken places in our hearts and our lives. Maybe we need his power this morning to rekindle hope where we've become really discouraged and downhearted. Maybe we need his power, the power of the resurrection, to give us courage and love and patience and wisdom that we don't have in ourselves. Maybe we need the power of the resurrection to send us out to share good news with our neighbours. Maybe we need the power of the resurrection this morning to make us into a joyful and thankful person rather than a grumbler and complainer and arguer. Just take a moment in quiet um, and reflect, where do you need the power of Jesus the King to work in your mind, in your heart, in your family, in your life this morning? Father, we want to we want to confess gladly this morning that we have no confidence in ourselves to fix ourselves or fix each other or fix what's messed up and broken in our world. We have no confidence in ourselves as we come before a holy and righteous God. We confess that all of our best efforts and even the things we are most proud of are very wobbly, shaky ground on which to stand. And we want to thank you this morning that Jesus has opened up a much better way. And I want to pray you'd help every single one of us here this morning and listening online to believe this good news in our hearts. And Father, I want to pray If there's anybody here this morning or anybody listening at home who has never uh, placed their trust and their confidence for the first time in Jesus as the one who saves us, as the one who forgives us, as the one who gives us right standing with God as a gift. Father, would you help them to say that yes this morning, even in the quietness of this morning, of this moment?
Father, thank you that when we place our trust and our confidence in Jesus, we will never be disappointed. Um, we are safe on the solid ground. Father, help all of us, even those of us who've been following Jesus for many years. Um, forgive us when we go back to polishing our resume and trying to impress you or impress each other um, with the things that we do. Father, help us to crumple up that resume this morning and joyfully throw it in the bin. Place our confidence again in your grace and your faithfulness and then get on with the much more interesting life of following Jesus and um, getting to know him better. Father, I want to pray, would your spirit carry this good news to the depths of our hearts this morning and set us free um, from anxiety and fear and worry that comes from trusting in ourselves and instead give us that deep, deep confidence in Jesus alone for life and for death and for eternity. And we pray in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen. Um, if you'd like someone to pray with you this morning, uh, there'll be a